Well, as I tell you, each and every week, we are going to continue to go down the road of expecting a college football season this year until proven otherwise. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Really appreciate each and every one of you joining us here on the show for a few minutes. And before we get it rolling, please take a second and leave us that rating and review. And by the way, with the season right around the corner, it will help us out tremendously Continue to grow this show, bring you more content, and in return, I will send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. All you have to do is send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get that koozie in the mail for you guys. Appreciate it. All right, let's um, spend some time on ranking the Big 12 non-conference games this year. The best 10 from 10 all the way down to one. We'll take this thing in reverse order and start with number 10, Oklahoma on the road against Army. Now, you may think it's an odd choice, right? But don't forget a couple of years ago when Army almost pulled off the upset in 2018 uh, on the road in Norman. This time the game is at Army. And if you have not watched a football game at Army on the Hudson River, it is quintessential Americana. Now, Army's not going to be as good as they were in 2018, although Jeff Monken's unique uh, offense is one that obviously you don't really prepare all that well for unless you've seen it in person. We saw that with OU a couple of years ago. So I think you combine uh, this game being on the Hudson River at Army, the unique way uh, Army's offense operates, combine the fact that OU is going to have a young quarterback, likely in Spencer Rattler or Tanner Mordecai. We don't know for sure yet. Uh, But regardless, it's going to be very interesting to watch this game unfold and see exactly how things play out. So I've got OU at Army at number 10. At number 9, Kansas at home against Boston College. We saw last year KU go on the road and outscore Boston College 41-7 to in the final three quarters for a 48-24 win. Uh, That was embarrassing for BC, and it was a great moment for Les Miles in year one. Now, BC's got a new head coach, uh, and Jeff Haley, who was previously the co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Um, The Eagles are still going to have a run-heavy offense, no doubt about it. Uh, But for KU, first off, you get a chance to see whoever the quarterback replacement is for Carter Stanley against Power 5 competition. But also, you'll get to see a Power 5 team at KU and see what KU looks like. Like, is, is Les Miles ready to take this thing to the next step in year two? Or is this a stagnant year because of, you know, replacing a quarterback and a couple of other key pieces? I don't know. But anytime you get KU with a chance to beat a Power 5 team at home, a good spot for the fans as well, if there are fans there, we don't know that yet. But uh, this has a lot of intrigue to it for KU and the entire Big 12 because we'll find out if KU is still going to be that doormat or if there's reason to think that things are starting to get better. At number eight, as we rank the best non-conference games of the Big 12 this fall, we've got Texas Tech and Arizona. Last year, of course, this game was a a big deal because it was the last game that Alan Bowman played at quarterback for the Red Raiders. Uh, Hopefully he's healthy this year, and we'll find out what exactly this Red Raiders team looks like in year two under Matt Wells. 
Is it going to be Alan Bowman's offense? Could it be Maverick MacGyver's offense? Either way, first Power 5 competition of the year um, for a team that, you know, not that last year was a bad year for Matt Wells, but anytime you're sitting there and saying we didn't make a bowl game, that's well below the expectations for Texas Tech football. So if Tech is serious about winning some of those close games they missed out on last season and taking that next step while reaching a bowl game, uh, this is a this is arguably a must win because then you got the gauntlet Big 12 schedule, round robin, never easy. Uh, you got to do well in the non-conference, and the difference between a bowl game and not a bowl game for Tech could be this game against Arizona. At number seven, I've got TCU against SMU. Um, if you told me a year ago that I'd have this game in the top 10 for 2020, I'd be like, uh, what went wrong? Well, SMU pulled off the upset against the Horned Frogs last year. Uh, you've got the connection. Sonny Dyke spent a year at TCU before he takes the SMU head coaching job and does really well last season with that program. So uh, for TCU, first off, you got to beat the SMUs. I don't care how good SMU is. You got to beat SMU to get this thing back on track. If you're Gary Patterson, okay, you have to do it. I know that Sonny Dykes is building a really good program there and Shane Bouchelle is back at quarterback, but I want to see first off against a weak defense on SMU. What does Jerry kills imprint on this offense look like is Max Duggan getting better. Uh, this is an SMU team that gave up 33 points per game last season and is losing some big pieces and has depth issues. If they are serious about taking a step forward, we will find out in this game, whether or not TCU is going to be a dark horse in the big 12, which some people think they can be, and I, I, they've got the potential. It's a question about the uh, offense. That's, that's it. That is it for TCU right now. At number six, for ranking the best non-conference games in the Big 12 this fall, K-State against Vanderbilt. Yes. Um, if you recall, K-State went on the road and lost to Vanderbilt in 2017 in an ugly game. At 14-7 loss was ugly. Now, Bill Snyder's team actually closed the year pretty well, but I thought things were going downhill quickly for Bill Snyder after that road loss. Either way, uh, we'll get a look at what Kansas State's offensive line looks like. They're replacing everybody, and I'm sorry, but we're not going to have a good idea against Buffalo or North Dakota as to what that offensive line is like. Uh, Vandy has new coordinators under Derek Mason. Uh, they're not a very good program. Uh, they're obviously in the SEC, so you'll always take a Big 12 win over an SEC team. But if you lose this game, it's ugly. If K-State loses this game, it's in many ways a black eye for the Big 12 because then you've got the bottom feeder of the SEC potentially beating one of your middle-of-the-road competitors, which nobody wants to have that happen, but especially... When you're the Big 12, going up against an SEC team, uh, this is a game that Kansas State should win. It's good for momentum from last season for Chris Kleiman. And we'll get a good idea as to what Kleiman's got this year and whether or not he's going to build off of last year or possibly uh, take a step back. At number five, West Virginia, Florida State. Yes, neutral site game down in Atlanta. Uh, year two for Neil Brown. Florida State has moved on from Willie Taggart. They now have Mike Norvell at quarterback. You've got a blue blood there taking on the Mountaineers. Uh, this is really interesting. There's a lot of intrigue around this game. What does Mike Norvell do with Florida State? They think they've got their quarterback in James Blackman. Uh, 
West Virginia thinks it's got its quarterback in Jared Daigie, but I guess it could be still Austin Kendall. I got to imagine, though, at this point in time, for Daigie to lose the job after what we saw from Kendall last year, that would be pretty surprising to me. Either way, I guess we'll say it's a quarterback race. So we'll get some more information on that uh, coming into this game. And then defensively, you know, West Virginia was a very good team on defense last year. They couldn't run the damn ball and couldn't score any points. They were good defensively. So we get to see the Stills brothers on defense lead the way, going up against a great offensive mind in Mike Norvell and some of the best talent in the Power Five. I know the results have not been there, but Florida State has some of the best talent in college football. And it'll at least be an early indication into what Neil Brown has as they get things going in year two. So if there are fans at this game, by the way, it's in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's probably going to feature two-thirds to three-quarters Florida State fans. So that could feel like a road game for the Mountaineers, but uh, we have no idea what that's going to look like uh, today. So no reason to even bother with that debate. At number four, Baylor and Ole Miss. How about this? The Baylor Bears kicking off the season in the Dave Aranda era on a Sunday at NRG Stadium in Houston against a rebuilding Ole Miss team against Lane freaking Kiffin. I mean, what more can you ask for college football fans? That's a heck of a game on a Sunday when you already got a full slate on Saturday. So what does Baylor's defense look like under Aranda? How is it different than Matt Rule? How comfortable is Charlie Brewer at quarterback losing key pieces in a new offense? And then you get the bizarreness of Lane Kiffin back in the power five, uh, bringing it to the Ole Miss Rebels where they think they've got their quarterback in uh, Plumlee. He led the SEC in rushing yards per game last year, but he was awful as a passer. So uh, this is just really cool. Sunday game, two new head coaches. Baylor was an overtime away from being Big 12 champs last year. Matt Rule is out the door. And Ole Miss is uh, rebuilding. But uh, this has just craziness on a fast track at Energy Stadium written all over it. And I uh, I can't wait for this one. You might be a little burnt out after Saturday, but, man, you want to make sure you see what Baylor and Ole Miss bring to the table on Sunday of the first full opening weekend of college football. Number three for ranking the Big 12 non-conference games this fall, Tennessee at Oklahoma. These two teams had a good stretch. They met a couple of years in a row, you know, half a decade or so ago. It was back in 2015 when Oklahoma uh, came back to win that game behind none other than Baker Mayfield in a double overtime win. Tennessee is still, you can make the case, in a rebuilding mode under Jeremy Pruitt, but uh, they've got back their quarterback, Uh, A very good offensive line, and Pruitt has done a good job getting key pieces in, recruiting as well, and a lot of people think that Tennessee might be a dark horse this year. So it's interesting because OU goes into this game, Power 5 team, uh, going up against a Power 5 team, where they don't have the advantage at quarterback. I mean, they've got the advantage in terms of offensive mind in Lincoln Riley and offensive weapons all over the place. But whoever's at quarterback, whether it's uh, doesn't really matter whether it's Spencer Rattler or Tanner Mordecai for both of these guys, this is going to be their first big time opponent that they face. So the talent around them is going to be there. 
But, man, this is going to be fascinating to see how the quarterback, whoever it is, handles a spot like this against solid SEC competition very early in the season. It's going to be a real test. It's going to be a real test. And I can't wait to see how it plays out for the Oklahoma Sooners. That's why I had this game at, um, at number three. Because the competition is better than Baylor against Ole Miss. The, the fun is there for Baylor and Ole Miss. Like, that could be a more fun game. But in terms of just ranking them uh, based on what's on paper, Tennessee and Oklahoma get the nod at number three. At number two for ranking the Big 12 non-conference games. Cyhawk, Iowa State at Iowa. Can Matt Campbell finally, finally get over the hump? The Hawkeyes are bringing in a new quarterback. Iowa State is not. It's got the veteran. It's got arguably a first-round NFL draft pick in Brock Purdy. I know you're on the road, but this is the time you got to win that game if you're Matt Campbell. you got to do it. If there's ever a chance to get over the Cyhawk hump, it is this year. I know you're not at home, but this is the year you've got to do it. And Matt Campbell has been awesome at Iowa State. They love him there in Ames. They should love him there in Ames. The only blemish on his uh, resume is, is the fact that he has not won this game. That's it. And he's got a chance to do it this year. I know that the Cyclones have to replace some key pieces on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, guys like Deshante Jones, Tariq Milton. Um, and then on the other side, guys like Ray Lima. But, man, this is it right here. There's enough coming back on both sides of the ball and if Iowa State's going to be a dark horse Big 12 contender, got to win this game. At number one, as we rank the 2020 Big 12 non-conference games, Texas LSU, no-brainer, epic game last year. LSU won it late, a track meet game. They go undefeated. They win the national championship. Hell, Texas looked like it was going to be a college football playoff contender after that game, and then the wheels fell off. But for LSU, they're... They're not rebuilding. They're reloading, though. Uh, Joe Burrow's gone, number one pick in the NFL draft. Dave Aranda's at Baylor. Talked about that. So there's pieces missing on the field, on both sides, and then also on the staff. But it doesn't matter. I mean, LSU's going to be a top-notch SEC team. They do reload. And for Texas, it's a huge year for Tom Herman to prove that he's the guy who can lead Texas back to being a consistent Big 12 title contender and a college football playoff contender. And that 2018 was not a fluke when they got to the conference title game. So Texas should have the upper hand in this game, being at home, far more experienced quarterback, more returning pieces, but LSU's got that natty swag going on. So no matter what, it may not just be the best non-conference game of the Big 12 this season. It might be the best non-conference game in the country. So there you have it, ranking the 2020 Big 12 non-conference games from 10 down to 1. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly. Part of heartlandcollegesports.com. More with you coming up next. So we do need to spend some time, of course, giving you the latest on what is happening across the Big 12. Uh, OU came back this week and still hopeful college football is going to be here. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site covering the Big 12 top to bottom. So, interestingly, this week, it came out that the Ivy League 
is pondering a conference-only spring football season. Now, this is something that the Ivy League can pull off, right? The Power Fives can't, though. You might as well just shut down the football season. Uh, We've talked about it on this show, but, like, guys that are going to be training for the NFL draft come January, February, you know, March, they're not going to play games in March when the NFL draft is a month later and they're trying to get drafted to meet with teams. They're not going to do it. Now, it's no offense to the Ivy League, but I'm just saying they don't have a lot, if any, NFL guys there. Okay, they don't. But now, according to a report from TMG Sports, They are considering the Ivy League doing a seven-game conference-only spring season that would begin in April, conclude in mid-May. That's not realistic for anybody else. Uh, They're also considering a 2020 season starting in late September with a seven-game schedule against only conference opponents. Normally, the Ivy League plays a 10-game schedule that begins uh, right around September 19th. So if the Ivy League wants to do it, so be it. The other schools can't do it i mean they they can't they will not be able to fund the athletic departments which are absolutely mammoth and and maybe that's something that we learn out of this maybe some of these departments are bloated but uh, you know they need that tv money and you know lincoln riley is somebody for ou the ou head coach who has been very cautious about this ou reported this week on the first of july they were the last team to report in the Big 12, one of the last in the Power 5, I believe, as well. Lincoln never brought up the idea of not playing when he did an interview with Colin Cowherd this week on Fox Sports Radio. Here's what Lincoln Riley had to say when talking about getting guys back on campus and being very careful with them now that they are back, um, you know, on his watch, so to speak. Like everybody is, we're learning more and more each day. Um, you know, I think a comfort level that we've got a good plan for our players when they're when they're back here with us, when they're in our facilities. You know, our concern from the beginning has been, you know, this isn't a high school player that when they're done with your facility can go back to their home. This isn't a professional player that when they're done with your facility can go back to their own home. You know, we house these players. A lot of them live with with other players, friends, this or that, and so. I think the bigger concern right now is what you do with them the other hours of the day. And uh, so obviously the spike uh, in, in cases over the last several weeks has, has been a concern for, for everybody. It certainly is for, for us as well. Um, you know, I think we're going to have to keep all options open and, and keep the, the safety and health of these guys the main thing. Now, that's a totally smart approach from Lincoln Riley. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Of course, safety of the players, whether it's COVID or anything for that matter, I mean, should be first and foremost. You've got parents and family that are putting these young men uh, into the hands of these coaches who are making a ton of money to coach them, and safety should be first. Now, we do know that COVID is far less likely to have any type of serious impact on somebody who is young, never mind somebody in college who's an incredible world-class athlete. Uh, You know, there have been all these cases popping up across the Big 12 in college football, and that was to be expected, right? I think you've actually heard more from people in the media saying, oh, my gosh, look at all these positive tests than you have heard from people in these programs. Now, Kansas State shut down workouts for a couple of weeks because they had a bunch of positive tests, and that's okay. One of the benefits, I believe, of bringing them back in mid-June versus, let's say, when Lincoln Riley did it on July 1 is that if this were to happen, basically shut down practices for a couple of weeks, everybody, you know, quarantines, and then – you're back to relative normalcy. 
But I do think it's going to be very tough, very, very tough for these guys once you get all the other students back on campus um, to keep anybody from testing positive. Many of them will be asymptomatic. You can make a case most of them will be asymptomatic, but still you're going to have to quarantine them if you do it, right? Because you don't want this thing spreading like wildfire. So the worst case scenario is, you know, guys are out hanging out with uh, friends and buddies, whatever. Thursday night, you got a game on Saturday. I'm not sure when the testing's going to be done, but if a bunch of guys test positive Friday, you potentially have yourself a problem for Saturday, which is why the uh, betting lines are going to be wild this year, I, I think, in college football. And, and by the way, uh, we are partnering with our friends at MyBookie as well this season, so that'll be fun. But it's just, it's really interesting to see how these universities, how these athletic departments, and how these conferences are going to handle things moving forward. But even Lincoln Riley, who's been very cautious, is not saying, I don't know if we're going to have a season. He said, of course, we're learning more every day. We're trying to keep everybody safe. But he did not sound any alarms, and he has been somebody who has been very vocal about this stuff here over the last uh, several weeks. So it was good to hear that from him. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly. Coming up, I will tell you one of the most underrated storylines in the Big 12 this fall. That's next as we wrap up the show on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So something that I continue to think about, uh, you know, when I'm thinking about underappreciated or overlooked storylines, a couple things continue to come to mind for me in the Big 12 uh, for this fall. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site. So Kansas State, um, I think about Chris Kleiman and the fact that last year was such a uh, wild year from the standpoint of exceeding expectations. You know, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, even the most diehard Kansas State Wildcats football fan was not going to tell you, in hindsight, be fair here, the most diehard fan was not going to tell you, hey, this team is going to go 8-4 and four in the regular season. Uh, really? Who was going to do that? In a perfect world, did you see eight wins on this schedule last year? Did you really with a new head coach? I, I did not. I did not see it. But when you look to, to last season, you got the win against Oklahoma. You got the win against Mississippi State. Uh, you've got, you know, the win against Iowa State. Those are probably the three best wins of the season for Kansas State last year. And you say to yourself, can they duplicate it? Yes, you've got a veteran quarterback in Skylar Thompson. But, man, when you think about this year, this team replacing the entire offensive line, some other key pieces as well, I think that the pressure on Chris Kleiman is different from the pressure on the other second-year coaches, which include Les Miles, where the expectations are what they are, baby steps at KU, uh, you know, throwing Matt Wells and then throwing Neil Brown. None of those other guys got to bowl games last year, right? So while there's pressure on them to get back to at least a bowl game, it's different for Chris Kleiman because he's so far exceeded expectations last year. And by the end of the season, people were saying, uh, Bill who? Uh, Bill Snyder who? What was what, that guy's name? Bill? Uh, forget. Like, it's just different. It's a different kind of pressure. And if you think about K-State this season, 
I mean, I think they should go 3-0 in the non-conference against Buffalo, North Dakota, and Vanderbilt. But, you know, they, they, I guess, could drop a game when you've got so many new pieces coming in. And then you go to the conference schedule and you say to yourself, okay, West Virginia should be better. Texas Tech should be better. Um, You know, Baylor might take a step back. But every one of these games outside of Kansas, you say to yourself, what's the best case scenario? K-State's a few points favorite. I mean, I don't know what the line is going to look like on the 26th of September when K-State goes on the road to Morgantown. But it's in Morgantown, so right away the Mountaineers are going to get a few points. But, you know, is that game a pick And if you're a pick against West Virginia, you're going to be a dog against Texas. Uh, you're going to be a dog against uh, OU, Oklahoma State. Who knows about Baylor and TCU and Tech. But, man, it's it's tough. It's not impossible to find eight wins on the schedule if you really want to be an optimist. But it's tough to see how K-State, in a best-case scenario, isn't matching last season. In a best-case scenario, they will match last season. Go 8-4 and four, and then maybe a bowl game, uh, or obviously in a bowl game, maybe win the bowl game. But even that, it's more likely that they take a step back, right? Whereas you can't really say that for the other second-year coaches. I mean, Matt Wells, a strong case to take at least a step forward and go bowling. Same thing for West Virginia. And KU, I mean, taking a step forward, is, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but it, it's likely. So it's not that Kleiman's going to be in any type of hot seat. I mean, what the guy did last year was awesome. He's a perfect fit for that program, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He's a great fit. I hope he's there for 20 years. Hope he finishes his career in Manhattan. I think he's an awesome fit for the Big 12. But it's just interesting because of how well that team played last year based on what people thought that team was going to be where you say to yourself, what does a year two look like under Chris Kleiman and how might last year's successes have actually uh, changed what we should expect in year two? And is that fair to change what we should expect in year two? So it's, it's really, really interesting. And, and it's a program and a storyline that gets a bit overlooked, in my opinion, uh, for the Big 12 Conference. So something to think about and something to chew on here as we wrap things up. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. Appreciate each of you joining us each and every week, whether it's on radio, podcast, whatever it might be. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part of it. And we'll be back next week, same place, same time, on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Happy 4th of July. And a good time to remember that despite our flaws, we are still the greatest country in the history of mankind. Happy 4th of July. We'll talk to you next week. And by the way, please... Take a moment out and uh, leave us that rating and review and subscribe to the podcast. And in return, I will send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. If you send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much. You guys are the best. And we'll talk to you next week.